already this evening. The opportunity has been ours to sing these compelling songs of faith and encouragement, to lift our thoughts together in prayer as we have approached our Heavenly Father, and now certainly also as a part of these things, to be encouraged by those of like precious faith. It's been good for us to be here and for the next few moments as we open the pages of the Word of God to be challenged, to be encouraged by a section of the New Testament known as the book of Philemon. I entitled the lesson simply the book of Philemon for we will take a somewhat broad perspective toward it this, this evening. But as we do so, always striving to find some very practical applications that can be meaningful to you and me. These introductory comments... I prepared that thought concerning the singing based on Psalm 104, verse 33. There it states that because of the blessing of expressed upon that occasion, the psalmist affirmed, I will sing unto thee. And you and I have done that tonight. We love God. We love what He's done for us. And we love, of course, through the majesty of Jesus Christ, the promises and hopes that He has in store for us. There are four one-chapter books in the New Testament. That is to say, four books that have only one chapter. Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And as you think about the particulars contained in those books tonight, we will look only at the first one, the book of Philemon. But as we do so, although that book is brief, although very short by comparison to so many other Bible books yet, the Holy Spirit has seen fit to preserve it because no doubt contained in it are some vital matters that were not only beneficial for the church in ages past, but certainly beneficial for you and me today. Certainly what we'll do then tonight is let's first remind ourselves of the scene of that book and then from that point we will look carefully at some applications. Philemon verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ." I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent back, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing." that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a, bro as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved especially to me, and how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account." 
I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. That's the book of Philemon, all 25 verses. And as you can well tell, very brief, but yet very prolific and very powerful. You'll notice on this slide is my brief attempt to summarize some of the matters you and I just noticed. First of all, the record is as follows. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written while Paul was in prison. Note again carefully the reading of verses 8, 9, and 10. Inasmuch as Paul was in prison, he nonetheless penned this letter to the gentleman named Philemon, and the setting of it reads like this. Philemon lived in the city of Colossae. We learned that from Colossians 4 verse 9. It was a place well known in the ancient world. In fact, it resided in the well-known Lycus River Valley. Colossae was a rather powerful and rather well-known ancient city. There was much commerce there. There was much trade, if you please. But it's also fair to note, in addition, that Philemon had at least one slave. We'll have more to say about slavery and things like that later in our lesson. But Philemon had at least one slave, and this gentleman's name, this slave's name was Onesimus. You'll quickly appreciate with me that Onesimus, for some reason, ran away from his master. Now, maybe there are many things that would cross our mind that might have prompted Onesimus to do this, but the fact remains the Scriptures do not inform us of it. But it does tell us he had run away. From that placement in Colossae, Philemon made his way all the way to Rome. There he came in contact with none other than Paul. Now remembering that Paul was in prison, by some means Onesimus was cast into prison, or at least he came to know Paul in prison. You can see on that slide, fantastically, beautifully, and marvelously, Paul converted Onesimus to Jesus. He hadn't formerly been a Christian, but now he was. By his association with the gospel through the agency and teaching of Paul, Onesimus obeyed the gospel. That does indicate, doesn't it, that by some means even in the confines of what was available to him, that gentleman obeyed the gospel. He was baptized into Christ. What a beautiful story. And that's something often, of course, that rests upon your mind and mine when we have the opportunity to teach and encourage others that they too might know the blessing that's ours of Christianity. As you can well tell near the bottom of that slide, now we come to the next stage in the appreciation. After being converted, there were some decisions to be made. What was now the placement or the position in which Onesimus was to remain? Paul says he could be very profitable to me. 
After all, Paul was confined, it seems, in prison, and Onesimus apparently had more freedom. He could have been a powerful servant to Paul, assisting him in the matter of carrying out the message of evangelism. But there was a higher order here. There was a higher decree. Note again the wording. Verse 13, "...whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel." Again, Paul says, He could have been a great help to me. But verse 14 now says this, But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. As you and I close that slide then, we notice that the saga continues throughout the remainder of this book because under the urgency of the thing that was right, not what was more convenient to himself, Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon sent this slave back to the man that was his master. As he did that, he sent him along with Tychicus. We notice that again in Colossians 4, verses 8 and following. But as you arrive at verses 15 and following, it brings us to this next set of observations. As Onesimus was sent back to Philemon, have you ever wondered what crossed Onesimus' mind? How would Philemon receive him back after all I ran away from him? Will he place a great deal of grievous punishment upon me? Will he burden me such that my life becomes a misery in so many ways? Nonetheless, Onesimus went back. Doesn't that indicate what a change the gospel does? Onesimus had run away from Philemon perhaps not that long in the past and now under the reality and banner of his conversion to Christianity, he in service to Christ went back to the very man from whom he recently had run away. Isn't that amazing? The change that's wrought in the mind and heart of an individual when Jesus Christ feels it. Let's proceed on to notice this. Paul closes this letter over the last several verses by then highlighting in the letter written to Philemon, If he owes you anything, put it on my account. By the way, Philemon, don't you forget, he's coming back to you as a brother in Christ. He isn't just a slave anymore. It's true, he is a slave, but he is your brother in Christ now. That's a fantastic observation and one that overwhelmingly sets before the mind of Philemon the fact he must look upon this individual now somewhat differently than he had in the past. After Paul asserted, put whatever he owes you on my account, Paul noted in verses 19 and 20 some additional statements of commendation of Philemon. We'll have more to say about those in just a moment. But as you and I close that slide, it was a stroke of genius on the part of Paul, no doubt prompted by the Holy Spirit, in which he stated just the right thing to motivate and provide the incentive for Philemon to welcome back this one who had run away from him. I think you and I would do well to try to put ourselves not only in Onesimus' place, but Philemon's place. If your slave had run away from you and now for some period of time you've lost out on the work he could have done for you, You've lost out on the wages he might have supplied to you and your family. Would you receive him back with anger, with wrath, with a disposition toward hatred or wrath? Paul said, don't do that, Philemon. 
you welcome him back as a brother in Christ. He is now profitable to you, but he wasn't before. It is with that in mind. Let's close the book in verses 21 and 22. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that you will do more than I say. May I suggest to you that that's a wonderful consideration, and with it, we'll develop it more in just a moment. The final salutations close the book. Let's make some observations and extract some lessons that could be of benefit to you as well as to me. In thinking about this record of the book of Philemon, lesson number one. Did you notice throughout our reading of it that there was an extraordinarily high estimation of the brethren? I tried to single out that particular reference, and I would ask you to note it with me again, beginning in verse 1. Timothy, our brother, verse 1, Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, verse 2, Aphia, our beloved, Archippus, our fellow soldier, in regard to Philemon, the church in your house, one gains the feeling that the brethren were exceedingly special to Paul and he wished to commend them and encourage them on their way and walk through life. Paul knew very well, after all, he was in prison, that the forces against good can often appear so strong and they can appear to sometimes be nearly overwhelming. We see evil abounding all around us. Individuals that make poor choices, many make even sinful choices. And yet, in the midst of that kind of world, we wish good to prevail. We want the cross of Christ to, in fact, reign supreme. And often the forces seem so strong against it. Paul was so thankful for his brethren. Here, Paul was in prison, and yet he wrote a letter to Philemon. A man living many hundreds of miles away, in very different circumstances, enjoying the characteristic of freedom, and yet Paul admonished him to understand the blessing of the brethren. We here at the Pippin Church also, of course, understand the brethren, and how often the New Testament encourages us to be mindful of them and to pray for them. You did notice here again in the wording of verse number 4, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Here again was a man named Paul who remembered Philemon in prayer. He remembered these other individuals apparently whom he had named. What about you and I? As we a moment ago, we, we prayed for a congregation. We prayed together for the steadfastness and strength of it as we often do. Let us always be mindful of praying for ourselves, of course, and for our brethren, that in strength and in fortitude we might stay the course of faithfulness and not be sidetracked by following the things that are evil. Those forces that led Paul to say this are those which I would invite you to notice. That mention of thanksgiving and prayer, Paul was genuinely thankful for his brethren. May you and I be thankful for our brethren. After all, we are described as those who have citizenship in heaven, Philippians 3 verse 20, as those who are admonished by way of the love of the brethren, 2 Peter 1 verse 6. Isn't it also true that we are those who enjoy a like precious faith, 2 Peter 1 verse 1. Aren't you sometimes amazed to reflect upon the smallness that sometimes has been characteristic of those who have chosen to be faithful to the Lord? 
whether it was in the days of the two spies versus the ten, whether it was in the days mentioned, of course, in Genesis chapter 19, whether it was in the days that we find even in the characteristic days of Jesus, you and I are members of a selected few. The majority have not been faithful to God, and yea, we are told by the promise of the Master that such will not be true. May you and I be thankful for those few, the remnant, if you please, who love the Lord more than anything else and who are determined above all obstacles to be faithful to Him. No wonder Paul was thankful for those brethren. They so often had refreshed Him in ways we're about to see. But with that in mind, let's look at the observation that Philemon was well aware too of the precious prize of the brethren for the church assembled in his house. That, of course, was long before the days when there were church buildings. The New Testament makes no record explicitly of a dedicated building that was built by the church, but rather the church met in places like individuals' houses, by-side rivers. It met in various and sundry other places already constructed. And yet Philemon was honored to have the church assembling in his house. Paul made note of that, of course, in verse number 2. But with all of that, it prepares us for the second lesson. At the bottom of that slide, could I call to your attention the wording of verse 5? Philemon verse 5. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now maybe the wording of that, at least in the King James translation, seems a bit difficult or at least not as easy to understand as we might prefer. Let's try to unpack some of it. It begins in verse 5 like this, Paul had heard about the love and the faith of Philemon. Whatever Philemon had been doing in his work for Christianity and in light of his devotion for the Lord is something of which Paul was well aware. It hadn't been done in secret. It hadn't been done in such a way that no one knew it. Philemon's Christianity was known to Paul and in fact appears to have been known by many others. We might pause at that point to ask of ourselves an examining question. How about my faith and yours? Does anybody else know about it? Or is it closeted in the recesses of my own mind and no one else's? Do others see by virtue of the choices you and I make, the decisions in life that we make, are they well aware of the fact that he or she is servant to a different master than me? He or she doesn't talk like I do. They don't go where I go. And every Sunday and Wednesday, they're found somewhere that I'm not. Now, among other things, you and I can add a whole host of other particulars to the possibilities. But the fact remains, Philemon's faith and love were well testified to Paul. He knew of them. But did you notice the remainder of the statement? which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. That which Philemon was doing was a very beneficial and encouraging thing specifically to the saints. In fact, did you notice how verse 7 and 8 explains it? For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother 
That leads to another examining question, doesn't it? Do you and I refresh the saints? Are others encouraged and benefited and edified on their walk in faith by something that I might have done or said or that which I say or do? Or is my influence more negative? Isn't it impressive that Philemon's influence was very positive? It wasn't even neutral. The saints were refreshed by him. I like that wording, don't you? That word refresh means to buoy up or to re-energize. It means to solidify and strength. And Philemon had done some wonderful things in that which he had done in his service for Christ. Does that describe you and me? May we be honest with ourselves in that regard. Does that describe me? Do I just refresh the saints? Do you refresh the saints in that which you do in service to Jesus? Paul commended Philemon for doing that. And of course, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, that serves as a testimony and encouragement to you and to me today. This refreshment, you'll notice, is mentioned later in the book again. Notice verse number 20, please. As Paul directly addresses Philemon, he says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Paul was excited about the thought of hearing the goodness with which Philemon would again welcome Onesimus back. You refresh my bowels as you receive him back as a brother in Christ. Not merely a slave anymore, but one who can be so tremendously profitable for the work of the Lord in your community and in your household. Isn't it a beautiful thing to consider that refreshment? So far, those two questions have been very challenging to each of us, certainly to myself, as we ask, am I refreshing the brethren? Is my faith and the love that I supposedly have for Christ, is that something that is witnessed by others? Philemon's faith was well known well over 500 miles away because Paul was in Rome. Maybe it's fair to say as you and I close that slide, the questions are very prompting, aren't they? It's no wonder the Holy Spirit has seen fit to leave this little book for our consideration. Let's look at question or lesson number three. As we come to a further point in this little one-chapter book, I've entitled this section simply Paul's Approach to Philemon. You and I read it a moment ago, but could I redirect your attention please back to verse number eight and nine? Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such and one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee. If you and I were to put that in slightly different language, Paul said, as an authoritative figure, as an apostle, I could command you, Philemon, to take Onesimus back and to treat him in the way in which would be proper and fitting. But Paul said, I'm not going to do that. Rather, I'm going to beseech you. I'm going to implore you. I'm going to encourage you. I think you and I have often reflected upon the book of Philemon from that standpoint and noticed what a masterpiece of psychology. Sometimes it isn't best to make those overt commandments It's best to psychologically encourage them with motivation as to why you should want to do this. Paul again said, I beseech thee. Philemon, I know in the tenderness of your heart 
your love for the Lord Jesus Christ and your devotion to the gospel will lead you to estimate Him and respect Him in the way that you should. And I don't need to command it. And therefore, Paul did not command it, but rather, as you'll see on that slide, Paul wasn't harsh, but he was very inviting. He provided the motivation in Jesus, and he did so by virtue of the current circumstances that now were Onesimus's. This man is now your brother in Christ. He left as a slave. He wasn't your brother in Christ then. Now, though he's still a slave, he is your brother in Christ. Did you notice the wording specifically of verse 16? Receive him not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. We aren't told how many days or perhaps even months have passed from the time Onesimus left until the time Paul is sending him back. But there has been a tremendous change that has occurred in that length of time. When Onesimus left, Paul quickly admitted he really was only a slave. And he did you wrong, admittedly, by running away. But now notice that which is transpiring. This man has become a Christian. This man, though a slave, is now your brother in Christ. Receive him back that way. Much more than just a servant as especially beneficial and valuable as he has been to me, think how much more so to you. You and I are well aware then that as Onesimus went back, I'm sure that Paul encouraged him by very strong words. The man to whom you're going back as a Christian, he'll receive you that way. You need not fear. You need not be concerned about what he might do to you. Isn't it true that you and I can imagine... Many thoughts may have crossed both his and Philemon's mind, but action speaks so loudly. Onesimus went back. Isn't that a testimony to the change in the heart of that man? As we noted earlier, though, once he'd run away, now he seems to go back, and there's no specific mention of any misgivings. It might well be, as you notice the last thought, doesn't it highlight something about the attribute of what Paul expressed. Paul might, you would think, have been selfish. This man, now that I've converted to Christ, could be a great help to me, an assistant to me. And after all, I think I can justify that he'll be a good associate in service to Jesus. Surely Jesus would approve. No thought like that's mentioned. Situation ethics is completely unknown to the Bible. There is a right and there is a wrong. And there is not this opportunity to justify the end or justify the means by virtue of what the end may be. Paul said the right thing to do is to send Onesimus back for he is a slave to Philemon. He doesn't belong to me. And therefore Paul sent that man back. Many have looked upon the book of Philemon at this point and called it into question. Are you saying then that this book in the Bible endorses slavery? Are you saying that it has no problem or any difficulty with it? And that's exactly what we'd be apt to say. There isn't anything wrong. There's a lot worse things than being a slave, like being lost. 
There's a lot worse things than being a slave, like being a person who doesn't dutifully tend to the responsibilities of his life, whatever they may be. In 1 Corinthians 7, we remember on that occasion that Paul, rather powerfully by inspiration, asserted the truth of the fact that whatever station in which one was at that station and day of time, Paul admonished him to stay in that position. Might you and I now note that here was an individual that was a slave. If under proper considerations, if Onesimus was made free by Philemon, would that be something he could appreciate and enjoy? Certainly. But might we note, it's entirely possible for a person to go to heaven in that first century time as either being a slave or owning them. You'll notice in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's this statement made concerning matters like this. The closing chapter of 1 Timothy. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. You and I realize we live in a society where slavery is no longer a part, at least thoroughly, of the things that are before us. That has been left in the past recesses of history. Our civil war, you may remember, was fought at least in part with that as an issue underlying it. But might you and I now note, Philemon, this little book, testifies to us in a remarkable way that the greatest and marvelous thing that stands at the highest pinnacle is being right with God. And the station in which one finds him or herself in life is such that that can be done even if one had been a slave. With that said, notice the fourth lesson. The confidence that Paul expressed in Philemon. Those who study psychology often are quick to tell us that sometimes one of the most effective approaches is to instill within the listener, the one whom you wish to change, the reality of not only past good choices the person has made, but the confidence that you feel sure that will continue in the future. Notice how that happened here. Again, closing verses of Philemon. Having confidence, verse 21, in thy obedience. Philemon, I have the utmost confidence that you will make the proper choice as a Christian. That you will make the proper direction in light of your new relationship with this man Onesimus. Not only that, verse 21, knowing that thou wilt do more than I say. That has always been such an excitement to me personally, to consider that as Paul addressed Philemon, I could have commanded you to do this, but I didn't. But I have the utmost assurance that you will even go beyond that which I have encouraged. Sometimes you and I as parents would use that effectively as we encourage our children, as we express confidence in them, assurance that they will make the right choice. Paul said, I know, I have constant confidence that you'll do more even than I have requested. Notice that Paul had stated, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. 
do you suspect that Paul received a bill from Philemon? Do you suspect that he at some point received a correspondence asserting, this is how much you owe me in light of what Philemon cost me, or rather what Onesimus cost me? We don't know that any such correspondence ever took place. I strongly suspect it didn't. Verse number 22 closes that section of the book. But with all, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given to you. You notice there that in essence, Paul requested Philemon to pray for him. And I look forward to being able to visit with you. Isn't that thrilling? Isn't that exciting? Can you imagine a time at some point in the future when Paul visited this household of Philemon and not only got to enjoy the brotherhood that he shared with Philemon, but also with Onesimus, and Paul converted both of them to Christ. You notice that that little statement of verse number 19 is perhaps one of the final thoughts of our lesson this evening. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Philemon, I have the greatest of assurances and confidence that you'll do that even beyond what I've requested. But don't ever forget that in terms of you requesting payment for me, don't forget that you owe me even your own self besides. It is with that we close that slide and ask this question. Isn't it true that among the other, other things we might appreciate from this little one-chapter book, we can at least revisit if we wish to solve as a society or even as an individual a particular social issue or a social problem, how should it be approached? Is it best in some cases to approach it directly with aggressive and vehement commandments? Or is it better to do it like Paul did it? This man had run away from his master. The other particulars that were characteristic of, of Onesimus' life, we are not told. But Paul converted that man to Jesus. And that solved the problems. He now had a mindset, and Paul admonished Philemon the same way to now appreciate that that new relationship would solve whatever those issues had been. You receive him back as a brother. May I submit to you, that Jesus Christ our Lord has the answers to the ills of society and conversion to Christ will solve the issues. Following of His way and adopting the methodologies of New Testament Christianity, Islam won't solve the problems. The other kinds of matters that the mind of man has set forth, that won't solve the issues. But Jesus does have the answers even in a circumstance touching what appeared to be a very divisive situation, notice how well it was put to rest and how thoroughly it was put behind them. As you and I close that slide, it's a sweet thing to note the intercessory role that Paul played. Here was one who converted them to Christ and then sought to make peace between them. The Bible encourages you and I along that way as well, doesn't it? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, Matthew 5, verse 9. To close that brings us to the final slide of our lesson tonight, a slide of conclusion. We've studied, at least in a renewed way, this little book of Philemon. It's a masterpiece showing us 
so many ways in which we can appreciate the love of the brethren, how special they truly are, the understanding that comes with love and faith and how they are to be expressed and witnessed by those about us. We furthermore have even noticed that Paul's approach was so genuine and so appropriate. And finally, we saw very interestingly about the confidence that Paul expressed even in Philemon. As you and I use these teachings for our own benefit and service to Christ, perhaps we could begin then by asking, have you and I been converted to Christ? Onesimus and Philemon both were, and that provided a foundation for future work in the way that was good. If you aren't a Christian tonight, things are never going to be right in your life until you relinquish your life to the one who can properly deal with it and who can direct it in the way it ought to go. We can't direct our own path, not successfully, Jeremiah 10, 23. If there would be someone in the audience in that condition, in that position, why not come tonight to the one who died for you? As you do that, He will forgive those sins. He will put you in a position of rightness, your name in the book of life. You'll be in a position to walk faithfully through this life. If you have become a Christian, though, but you aren't faithful this, this very night, it could be any number of decisions and choices that you have made perhaps prompted by the influence of others, maybe motivated by the particular issues that others that you work with or go to school with. Realize, though, that ultimately your salvation or your lack thereof will rest upon your shoulders. They won't give account for you and you won't give account for them. Tonight, if you haven't been faithful, why not come back to your first love? Again, occupy that position of faithfulness at the sweet side of Jesus Christ. If we could help you in that way, we'd pray to God on your behalf. Upon your confession and repentance, Christ has promised to forgive. A song of encouragement has been chosen. And if at this point there would be one or more that would be in a position that you would wish to respond publicly, please do it and do it at once while together we stand and sing.